Thank you for joining us for week two of this series called My Best Life. And let me just take a moment and just remind you of a couple of points I made last week. First of all, uh, the first point was simply this. Do not put off for an uncertain tomorrow what you can do today. Live your best life now. And then secondly, I talked about showering yourself with kindness by doing for you what God does for all of us all the time. And that is forgiving yourself. And in, the, in teaching the lesson about forgiving yourself, uh, one of the insights that flow from that is that, you know, we all will live with regrets. But you know you've done the work of forgiving yourself when those regrets are free from shame and from guilt. So if you missed last week's message, I want to encourage you to go to our website and make sure you, you visit and engage that message on how to forgive yourself. Now, I want to highlight that as we move forward and look forward in this series because the lessons that I'm going to teach you over the weeks to come will require you to continue to not just be kind to yourself, but to treat yourself with grace because they're not overnight lessons. Because I want to suggest to you that God is saying to us through this series that I want to teach you a different way of living. Can you just simply shout, can you just type in the chat, my best life? Yes, your best life. Now, let me just say one more thing. When I talk about living your best life, you know, if you do a search on Instagram or Facebook, my best life or your best life, you'll get all these exotic pictures of vacations and relaxing and kind of escaping the toughness of life. <clears throat> and I think that's all great. You should be able to take vacations. You can enjoy those vacations. Fabulous. But I never want anyone to equate what I'm talking about when I'm talking about living your best life with luxury and wealth and escaping the mainstream of life. What I'm talking about is living a life uh, that can be defined, listen now, by deep joy and high quality. And when I say high quality, what I'm referring to is, is a life that is characterized by love and peace. That wonderful Greek word, that wonderful uh, 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 biblical word for peace, which means wholeness, where your life is integrated and tied to purpose, your best life. And I want to suggest to you that you can, that, that there are people surrounded by wealth and luxury who's living lousy lives. And there's people who, people who are living without wealth and luxury who are in fact living lives of deep joy and uh, defined by love, loving God, loving the people in the world around them and loving themselves and they're living a life of peace. And I want to suggest Finally, that this is the life that Jesus offers us as we engage the text that is before us uh, today. So really, it is an invitation. Jesus offers an invitation to a new way of living. Listen to how he shapes that invitation in Matthew chapter 11, beginning uh, at verse uh, 28. Here it says, Jesus says, check this out. Come to me, all of you who are weary and who are carrying heavy burdens. Is there anyone listening to me that's totally weary about uh, yet this new surge of COVID or, or dealing with heavy burdens? Maybe it's finance. Maybe it's grief. Maybe it's watching your kids move in, in a direction that is heartbreaking to you. Jesus says, look, I want you to come to me. I want to teach you a different way of living. He says, he says I will give you rest. That word rest refers to renewal. Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you. Come on, type in the chat, teach you. 
You know, scholars suggest that that word teach you can be translated, the word beneath that can be translated disciple. We talk about being disciples of Jesus. Uh, and, but, but scholars uh, also suggest that perhaps it's better translated apprentice. Apprentice. Yeah, type that in the chat. Apprentice. You know, uh, when I think about Jesus, Jesus is for me Lord and Savior. He's fully human. He's fully God. But most people, when they first interacted with Jesus in his historical context, they interacted with one who, who, who lived and taught in the rabbinical tradition. He was seen as a teacher. And in that tradition, rabbis uh, uh, had apprentices. So let me just frame this for you, that if you're watching this, you're not necessarily a Jesus follower. I want to suggest that over the course of the next several weeks that you'll say, you know what, let me at least be his apprentice. Let me just follow along and see what Jesus has to teach me about living a different kind of life than the life that I'm living. He says, come, let me teach you. Why? Listen, Jesus says, because I'm humble and gentle of heart. You can trust me what he's saying. And you will find rest for your souls. Somebody shout souls. So we're somewhere, I read the other day where it says we're overeating, over drinking, over binging on Netflix and TV and social media. And yet when it's all over, there is no relief. There's no renewal for your soul. Your soul is still warm. He goes on and says, and you will find rest for yourself. For my yoke that I'm going to place upon you is easy to bear. And, and the burden that I'm going to give you as you seek to follow me, well, you know what? What I'm going to give you is light. That is an invitation to a different kind of life. Now, a few years ago, I had a wonderful opportunity to play tennis with a dear friend of mine, Pastor Jason Reynolds, who passes a fabulous church here in the San Jose area. At the time of the tennis match, a number of years ago, he was 34 years old, and I was in my early 50s. I should highlight that he was 34 years old. <laughs> so we started playing tennis, and it was a great game. For the, first three, for the first three games in the first set, I mean, I wish you could have seen me. I was extraordinary. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, my top spin was working. My backhand was, was working. My net game was playing. I was here. I was there. I mean, if you were watching from the sidelines, you would have thought, my gosh, that must be a relative of Serena Williams. <laughs> that guy, he's really good. But then came game four and game five. And by the time I got to the end of the set, I was breathless. I was exhausted. I couldn't get to the ball in time. I was always just a little too late. Breathless, exhausted. By the time the match was over, I'd won the first three games, but my good friend won the match. You see, one of the things I want to teach you in the, in the, in the weeks to come is that I don't want you to win a game here and a game over there, but at the end of the day, lose the match of life. Uh, miss Winning the points that you really should be winning. And these are, in other words, misliving a life of deep joy characterized by love and by peace. You know, as I think about my friend, what was it that sustained him when I ran out of gas and energy? Well, you know, he was a really good tennis player. He focused on technique when I focused on being tenacious. He focused on pacing himself while I focused on racing around the court. He had a rhythm to his game while my game was really shaped by ultimately reacting to his rhythm. He had a clear focus 
what he was trying to do, what he was trying to do, where he was hitting the ball. For me, oftentimes, a divided focus, moving in that direction, looking over there. What I, what I want to suggest to you is that in this, as we move forward over the next several weeks, that, you know, Jesus has a lot to teach us as his apprentices. He's got technique that he wants to teach us when it comes to living this different kind of life. There's a pace to it. There's a rhythm and there's a focus to it. And as we come to this lesson, I mean, it, I, I think many of us come in this season dealing with COVID, dealing with family challenges, dealing with all of the politics that's happening around us. I, 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 I think we come kind of just worn out and breathless, just like I was when I was playing the tennis game. Listen to how the message rephrases what, uh, what I just read to you a few moments ago. Here's how the message rephrases what Jesus says. Here's what it says. It says, are you tired? Worn out? You know, you know what it's like to wake up and you're still exhausted? You're, you're always emotionally worn out? He's talking to you. Do you feel that way? He says, are you burned out? Even on religion itself, feeling like it's not helpful, not impactful? He says, listen, come to me. Get away with me. And I love this. And you'll recover your life. He says, watch this. I'll show you, shall show you, I'll show you, I'll show you, I'll show you how to take a real rest. Show you. In other words, I'm going to teach you some technique. He says, walk with me and work with me. In other words, you know, I'm going to teach you a new pace of life. He says, watch how I do. In other words, I'm going to clarify your focus. And then he says, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I'm going to teach you a new rhythm of how you ought to, how to live your life in the hustle and bustle of living. And he says, listen, you can trust me. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. What I'm going to put on you is going to fit you just right. You know, it's, 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 this is not a one-shoe-fit-all, right? This is what I'm talking about. There's going to be some rising and falling. We're going to have to learn our way into this new way of living. Uh, but, but, but he says, listen, uh, uh, but as you learn uh, your, your way into this new, it, it's going to be a perfect fit for you. A perfect fit for you. And so that is the task. So in the weeks to come, we'll talk about technique and rhythm and how to clarify your focus. We'll be challenging you on that all the way. But today, lesson one has everything to do with pace. Come on, type that in the chat. Pace. All right. Here's the first insight about pacing your life. Slow down. Slow down. You know, John Mark Comer, very used to be a, an amazing pastor of a large, multi-site, mega-church who, uh, who transitioned into being a great author and lecturer. He wrote a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's a great book. I'm going to encourage you to go ahead and get it. It resources this teaching uh, and this series. And in the book, he talked about his mentor, who's also my friend, uh, John Ortberg. And he said that <clears throat> John Ortberg shared a story with him um, on an occasion, it was back when John Ortberg, he was reflecting, John Ortberg was back uh, in Chicago uh, being a part of a team of a large megachurch. And he just felt like the activity of this large, growing megachurch is defined by, you know, this really successful and is growing 
was just really swallowing him up. He was losing himself in the high activity. And so John called, John Rutberg, that is, called his uh, mentor, uh, the great philosopher and religious thinker, uh, Dallas Willard. And he asked Mr. Willard, he said, here's the question. What do I need to do to become the me I want to be? Now, if you're taking notes, it's worth you taking notes, writing this question down. You ought to write it out in the chat. What do I need to do to become the me that I want to be? Wow. The first assumption of that question is that at least John knew the me that he wanted to be. He knew what he was aiming for. Do you know the me that you want to be? Do you know what you're aiming for in the hustle and bustle of this world? And, and while he knew what he was aiming for, here he was in the midst of success, success by every measure. And yet he felt like he was missing the mark. I think, I don't know, I didn't ask, I haven't talked to John about it, but perhaps if I was talking to John, perhaps he would say he wasn't living a life of deep joy. Perhaps he would say that he didn't feel like his life was being defined by a, 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 a rich engagement of love with God and with the people around him in the world and even with himself. And perhaps he would say he didn't have a sense of inner peace. What about you? Jesus is saying, I want to teach you a new way of living. I want you to be my apprentice so that I, I, I can help you to live into this new life. Well, the story goes on and says that Dallas Willard was talking, was listening on the other side of the phone, and he paused for a moment. And then Dallas Willard finally gave him this answer. He says, well, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And that's worth your writing down. You just type that in the chat. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And so John said he went on and wrote that down while he was talking on the phone. And he went on and he said to Dallas, he says, okay, is there more? <laughs> Mr. Willard said, uh, nope, that is it. Willard said, hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life. And you must ruthlessly eliminate it. What does it look like for you to begin to think about ruthlessly eliminating hurry from your life? You know, one person said, God made a whole lot of things, but he didn't make hurry. <laughs> he didn't make hurry. Think about it in these terms. You know, uh, when I talk about a life that's characterized by deep joy and love and peace, that doesn't happen in a hurry. You know, when Paul talks about agape love, the highest quality of love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you know, verse 4, and he first, the first thing he, he begins to describe what that love looks like, the first thing he says is love is patient and kind. In other words, at the end of the day, you know, love is patient. It takes time. If you want to deepen your relationship with your spouse or your significant other, it takes, that relationship takes time. Time. If, if you want to carry your relationship with your kids to the next level, uh, it takes more than discipline. It takes more than correcting. It takes time. If you want to, if you want to deepen your, your walk with God, it takes time. And then I like the other thing that it said ultimately, right? It says love is both patient, but it is also kind. Now think about this. Uh, 
most of the rude experiences we get in life happens when somebody's in a hurry, right? You're getting ready to pull into that parking place in, in the shopping mall and somebody, boom, <laughs> right? Or somebody cuts you off on the freeway, right? Somebody's in a hurry. Uh, if even you think about rudeness in your own life, it usually happens when you're in a hurry. The kids are, are, and the spouse or whoever, you're trying to get everybody out the door, and you find yourself saying things and doing things that at the end of the day it's just rude when you're in a hurry. Yeah. To pace your life means to begin to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Well, hurry is often connected with, is always connected with the sense of being busy. Can you type busy in the chat? Busy. You know, here's what Corey Tin Boone says. She says, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. <laughs> Listen, uh, John Mark, uh, in, in the book that I referenced, talks about the fact that he took some time to kind of restructure the discipleship process in his church. And then he went after quite a bit of work. He then went to one of his mentors and he asked his mentor, you know, here's the plan. He took time. He laid out the plan and asked his mentor. He said, hey, will this work? The mentor took a few moments and paused and then he responded. He said, listen, it's a good plan. Quote, but the number one problem you will face is time. He says, people are just too Busy to live emotionally healthy and spiritually rich and vibrant lives. Too busy. Are you too busy? My goodness. You see, the problem is not being busy. The problem that we face in this culture is being too busy. You know, when we think about Jesus, you know, we're here to apprentice. He's the one that's teaching us. You know, when, you, when you follow Jesus in the Gospels, you'll find him busy, but you will never find him too busy. You know, in the, um, in the book, in the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 4, after 40 days of prayer and fasting in the wilderness, he takes some, comes out of that, takes some time to recover. And then the text says he enters into Galilee in the, in the full power of the Holy Spirit. And it goes on, it says that report spreads about him quickly. And then it says he taught regularly in the synagogues throughout the Galilee area. He was busy. But he, he was busy with pace. Remember, that was, that was preceded by 40 days in the wilderness and time to rest and, and recover. After that, then he went into this teaching from synagogue to synagogue. And then if you read him through the gospel, we miss all the transitions. He's going from village to village, from town to town. He's walking most everywhere he goes. It's taking him hours, if not a half a day, a full day. And in that in-between time, somebody shout margin. Come on now. In that in-between time, he's investing in his disciples. He's, he's pouring into them. They're engaging. They're talking. They're relating. He's busy with Pace. He's busy with, come on now, a rhythm. Rhythm. Pace. But he's never too busy. Don't you remember when they were trying to bring kids to him? And, uh, he, and, and, and the disciples assured him away and said, don't take the kids. The, the master's too busy was the implication. Jesus says, oh, hush that up. 
Suffer the little kids to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. I'm not too busy. Don't you remember the story about blind Bartimaeus? Heard that Jesus was headed into town and the whole crowd was following Jesus. And he was calling out, uh, son of David, son of David, Jesus, son of David. And they were hushing him up. Come on, come on. He, he's, he doesn't want to be bothered with you. And Jesus stopped everything. Jesus heard the cry, called him, uh, Bartimaeus to him and took care of him. You never associate Jesus with being too busy. What about you? Are you too busy? You know, uh, my family and I, we uh, try to eat dinner two or three times a week. It's a way of slowing life down and reconnecting relationally. And trying to make sure that our lives are characterized uh, by a deep, a deep joy that, that flows out of, out of relationships of love with one another, caring for one another, right? And one of the ways that we connect around dinner is that we, this is a recent thing that we're now doing. We're inviting people to bring kind of a two-minute presentation uh, so that we can all learn. Everybody participates. Everybody brings something that we can all learn from. We all take notes. It's really it's a fast, wonderful time. So my wife, of course, she's a doctor. She brought something uh, out of her world, and, and she brought a teaching on exercise. It really blew my mind because, you know what, for months I've been too busy to exercise too busy and so she read this thing that if you if you exercise five days a week 30 minutes a day she listed all of the impacts of it she says it increases your mortality you live longer it reduces your ability your your susceptibility to strokes and heart attacks and diabetes Uh, it reduces your uh, susceptibility to cancer, and it lists all the different cancers, breast cancer, intestinal cancer, bladder, kidney, lung, prostate. It improves your cognition. Uh, it, it protects you against um, Alzheimer's and, 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 uh, and, and, and dementia, etc. It enhances your psychological and emotional world. Have you been having problems sleeping? Have you been dealing with anxiety? All of that? Well, listen, this is exercising 30 minutes a day, five days a week, improves your sleep, reduces your stress, reduces your anxiety, helps with depression. And the list went on and on and on. When she finished, I was so inspired. I mean, it was as though God was speaking. You know, sometimes God speaks to us through our bodies, right? And sometimes he speaks to us, believe it or not, through our wives. <laughs> anyway, check it out. You know what I did the next morning? I haven't been too busy to exercise for, really, for several months. You know what I did? I got up and I walked for the very first time four miles to begin to re-engage exercising. Let me just challenge you. If you don't get anything out of this message, slow your life down and create some space. If you're not exercising, get out there and exercise, right? Even if it's just walking, running 30 minutes a day, some exercise is better than no exercise at all. Start tomorrow. Tomorrow. Don't be too busy. Jesus says, you, know what, you want to learn how to slow your life down? Jesus says, you want to learn how to develop some pace? Well, here's what he says. He says, look, walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. Wow. Point two. So I want to develop pace. Number one, slow my life down. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from my life. Too busy from my life. Number two. Be present 
In whatever moment that you're in, be present in that moment. If you ever notice Jesus in Scripture, he's always present in the moment. One of my favorite stories is that uh, a Jewish priest named Jairus comes to get Jesus. He says, my daughter's dying. I need you to hurry and get there and so that you can save her. And Jesus and a huge crowd of people are headed towards Jairus' house. And people are touching and trying to touch him. And you know how you do celebrities. You just want to touch his coat and this and that. And there's a woman who has had a hemorrhage, uh, 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 bleeding for 12 years, hemorrhaging for 12 years. She breaks all of the Jewish laws uh, around not being engaged with a crowd when you have that kind of hemorrhage. And she touches, among the other tons of touches, she touches his garment. And Jesus stops. He's present in the moment. He stops and he says, who touched me? Who touched me? And they say, well, minister, everybody's touching. All these people says, no, 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 no. Somebody touched me with purpose and intent and need. Who touched me? Present in the moment. And he heals that woman. Even in the midst of the excruciating experience of crucifixion. What do you find Jesus doing? In the midst of dying, he's present in the moment. He notices that his mother needs provision. And from the cross, he takes care of his mother. Woman, behold your son. As he turns her attention to John. John, here's your new mom. From the cross, he makes sure to, 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 to pray for those who are crucifying him. On the cross, he makes sure to create space for one of the dying thieves to make it from time to eternity. This day, he says, thou shalt be with me in paradise. In the midst of excruciating pain, he's present in the moment. The moment. How present are you in the moment? You know, is it, is it when you're... Your child is talking to you. Are you halfway listening, but also checking the, the sports scores or figuring out what you're going to cook uh, the next day or whatever the case might be? You know, how present are you? Here, here's what Paul says about being present. Ephesians 5, 16. He says, make the most, watch this, of Every opportunity, you can substitute that word with moment, of every moment in these horribly evil days. You know, one of the things that robs us of being present in the moment is that the culture around us trains us and teaches us to multitask. Technology does it. It says to us that we can do a a thousand and one different things at once. Listen to the Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann. Here's what he says about multitasking. Here's what he says. He says, multitasking is the drive, watch this, to be more than we are. Not only is it the drive to be more than what we are, but to control more than we do. To extend our power and our effectiveness. Such practice yields a divided self. Catch that. With full attention Given to nothing. A divided self, a fragmented self with full attention given to nothing. Nothing gets your full attention. You know, the other day uh, I was uh, getting ready to come to do some work on our message, my message here at the, uh, at the office. And um, I got my briefcase together, iPad and all this stuff in the briefcase, hit it out of the house. And I remember, oh, no, I got to do one more thing. I set the briefcase down on the sidewalk, went back into the house to do that thing. And then I remember I needed to do something else. 
And, and then I did those two or three things, came back out, jumped in the car, came on, drove about 20, 30 minutes, got to the office, looked in the car. The briefcase had been left sitting on the sidewalk. I turned around, head back to the car, to the 30 minutes, go back, pick up the briefcase on the sidewalk, come back, come on now, to the office, get ready to come up to the door, get ready to unlock the door, keys, back home. <laughs> You see, you see, you see, come on. Not giving yourself fully to anything. This notion of being too busy doing too many things at the same time. I think the word of the Lord, all of us, and what Jesus would dare teach us, slow life down. Eliminate busyness. Be present in the moment. I got one more quote for you. This is my, my quote. I think, about, I think about all of the memories that we can make in, uh, if we're present in the moment. I think about the, 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 the and, 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 and I think about what we miss when we're half-heartedly present. Here's, here's, here's the insight that I just wrote as I was taking notes uh, about, this, about this whole thing. Divided attention leads to diluted memories. Type that in the chat. Divided attention leads to diluted memories. All right, Jesus wanted to teach us a new life, right? He says, okay, you gotta, you gotta develop pace to your life. Number one, slow down. Number two, be present in the moment. Number three, interrogate, interrogate your pursuits. Ask yourself some hard questions about what is it that you're trying to get out of life. Again, are you really pursuing a life of deep joy characterized by love and peace? That peace, that notion of being integrated on purpose. You know, here's what Paul writes in Romans 14, verse 17, about the kingdom of God. And for those of us who are Jesus followers, we're called to have this kingdom agenda. Here's what he says. He says, listen, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. He's saying, he, what he's saying is, he's saying is that when you pursue a kingdom agenda as your highest pursuit of life, the first thing that you're pursuing is righteousness. You know, that, that word first means uh, your relationship with God, right? Your relationship with others, your relationship with yourself, love God, love others, love yourself, your, your, your right relationship. Another way of talking about it then is love. It also includes justice in that word righteousness. I think I saw somewhere where someone says, you know what, you know what justice is? Justice is what love looks like in public. Justice. And so love, joy, peace. If you are, if you, Jesus is saying, if you're my apprentice, what we're called to pursue are lives, deep joy, characterized by love, and not by fragmentation, but by wholeness, peace, peace. So let me just ask you, is that what you're pursuing? If not, can I ask you, you may be a student in school. You may be a CEO, you may be an educator, right? You may be a doctor, a lab tech, or a mechanic. 
You may be a stay-at-home parent. Can I just ask you a question? What are you pursuing more than anything else? This is the question I want you to ask yourself. What am I truly pursuing? What, what, what am I absolutely trying to get? What is the highest thing that I'm looking for? You know, when Jesus talked about what he was pursuing, he said, uh, you know, he had this encounter with this woman at the well at, uh, uh, in Samaria. Then his disciples come to him and uh, he says, listen, my meat is to do the will of him who sent me. He says, I must do the work of my father while it is daylight, because when night comes, no one can work. You know what that means? This is what Jesus was saying. My daily schedule and my daily itinerary is in alignment with my eternal purpose. And I think if he was here today, he would say, listen, 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 listen. Your daily itinerary and your daily schedule. You want to know some real peace? It happens when it's in alignment with your eternal purpose. Do you know what that is? How you live it out? Let me end today here. As we think about what it means to be apprentices of Jesus, I go back to, to the message uh, version of what we read just a few moments ago. I love it. This is one of my favorite parts. It says, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Notice the word grace. Shout grace, 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 grace. Unforced rhythm of grace. The, the, the lessons that I'm teaching here and we'll be teaching over the weeks to come, technique and pace and rhythm, all that stuff, right? Help to clarify your focus. You know, you, you've got to learn it in a context of grace. I love that. Grace is the space to make mistakes and get back up again. It's the, it's the space to, to get it wrong and then make the correction to keep going. But the unforced rhythms of grace. I love it. Rhythm. Rhythm. Shout rhythm. You know, one of the things about dancing is that you're supposed to be able to both hear the rhythm of the music and <laughs> respond. And uh, one of the things I loved about the late Michael Jackson, for example, and his sister Janet, they were able to hear the rhythm and respond in some very creative ways. I remember the first time I took my wife to a dance and uh, the music was playing and we went out on the floor. And I, I heard the rhythm and I was responding. The problem was the rhythm that I evidently was hearing was not the same rhythm that everybody else was hearing. So the crowd just kind of pulled, pulled back. And here I'm being robbed at the center of the store. And everybody's just watching me. And for a moment, Robin just pulled back. And she's watching me. And I'm obviously dancing to a different kind of rhythm, baby. But I'm responding. <laughs> well, in that moment, dancing to a different rhythm and responding could be a tad bit embarrassing. But you know what, what my prayer is and I think what Jesus is saying? That's exactly the point of this series. He does want you to hear a rhythm that comes from above, that is tied to an eternal purpose. And as you respond to the rhythm that comes from above, come on now, it may look like you're out of sync with the people around you because you're living a life of a different pace. But that's all right. Because at the end of that dance is a life of deep joy characterized 
by love and peace. Amen. Amen. Listen, let's, let, me, let me give you some homework. You know, the text we read said, Jesus said, come keep company with me. Let me encourage you to begin to slow your life down by keeping some company with Jesus over the course of the rest of the series as we keep moving forward. And I want to suggest you do it two ways. Number one, schedule 15 minutes of quiet time a day. Be in the morning before things get rolling or midday, whenever. Schedule it. And in that 15 minutes, spend some time uh, in quiet or in prayer and some time reading. Start with the Gospel of Mark. Whatever you can read over the course of that course of 10 to 15 minutes at least. It would be great if you keep a journal. Here's the question I want to challenge you to raise while you're reading. What is Jesus teaching me about pace and focus? That's the question for this week. All right? Lord willing, we'll see you next week. Keep dancing. You know, Scripture teaches that we should not just be hearers of the Word of God, but rather doers. You know why? Because transformation takes place in action as we act on what we hear. So there's a QR code right here on the screen. I want to encourage you to scan it and go to our connection card to the uh, Next Steps with Jesus section. You know, week after week after week, people are saying yes to this challenge. Yes to the challenge of making Jesus both Lord and Redeemer of our tomorrows and our destiny. This could be your week. I want to challenge you to go ahead and do that. Now turn your life over to him forever. Simply check, I want to be a Jesus follower. That's, that's the um, statement of faith that's being made as you check, yes, I want to be a Jesus follower. And there are some other options there as well. Now, uh, if you check that you want to follow Jesus for the very first time or you're returning and you want us to come alongside you, there's another box there for you to check and say, yeah, please reach out to me. And we will do this uh, together with you. And then as it relates to the response to the message, I hope it's something that we can all affirm. Look at it. You just read it with me. I will practice slowing down and being present in the moment. Yeah, slow your life down. If, you're, if that's a commitment you're ready to make, at least for this week, just go ahead and raise your hand or check the box there. And then note the reflection question that I want you to wrestle with during the course of this week as well. Now, what am I pursuing more than anything else? What is your ultimate focus? What are you, what are you chasing in life? Come on, write that out. Talk it out. Process it as God continues to do work uh, with you during the course of this series.